Hello everyone, it's the 26th of March, 2020, it's a Thursday, this is Season 1, Episode 4 of the No Name Podcast, so I'm back for another night, um, hopefully to provide a bit more entertainment to you guys, and uh, the listeners out there, hope hope everyone enjoys it, um, just sort of talk, want to talk, have a chat tonight about um, some things that are going on in the world at the moment, so... I can't, um, I can't see, um, can't see for the foreseeable future that we're going to be able to do things that we enjoy and, and have enjoyed doing um, in our past times. Um, that that we sort of go about in our daily lives, and I think that part of that for me is is events um, and what sort of events we we go to and attend. Um, so I wanted to have a bit of a chat about that tonight. I can't um, can't obviously do a lot of things these days um, that involve more than people, crowds of more than 10 outside. Um, so m- most people like myself are sort of working from home, confounded um, to our own own living spaces. And, um, you know, events, well, they're off. So I was kind of actually reminiscing today a little bit about one of my sort of favourite events that I was, I've been going to um, over time um, and and just what they sort of mean. I think that sometimes you go to these things and, and you don't, um, I guess, there's so many things to do. So, and, and they're so, they're, I find that events now are just bigger than what, one thing yeah there's there's more than one thing going on at events these days um I, I look at something like sport for example so sports not going on at the moment um and we're not we're not there's no professional sport going on or even amateur sport junior sport in the world um but the way i look at sport especially when you're going to sports entertainment um and entertainment something that we've been missing a little bit and I think we'll miss um, going to the future as, as well in the interim um, but sports entertainment so you go to the you go to any sporting event no matter what it is it could be lawn bowls it could be soccer it could be football it could be netball um, you don't just go there and, and sit in your seat and watch the game and, and go home some people do um, I usually do. I'll admit that. That's usually my routine about going to events. If I'm going to something, I'm there for one specific thing and I'm sort of pretty pretty going on that. But there's going to be a lot of people there at events and I think that's what that's something I've noticed over time that people have gotten um, quite good at. And I think in, in terms of being able to offer different, different things to different people um, within the same entertainment setting um i look at i think i look at the sort of the growth and the increase in entertainment that accompanies sport um as a package that's occurred in my lifetime and and probably over the last 30 years i'd say especially in australia and and definitely around the world um i mean there's so many examples of it there's um there's things like how would I say? Um, oh, you look at you look at something like the football. People don't. People might necessarily go to watch the football, but there's other things at the football that don't 
involve football. There's music playing, there's entertainment shows at half time, there's, um, there's a few other things like that. And there's competitions, there's, there's stuff that entertains little kids. So for example, you go back 40 years ago or 50 years ago, going to the football literally meant you went and rocked up and you might've watched the reserves play before the seniors or the under 19s as well. Um, and you watched the football and there might've been some soggy chips and meat pies and some crappy hot dogs and, and beer. Um, and that was basically it. There was nothing else. There was no entertainment. There was no ground announcer. There was there was well, there might have been a ground announcer who, who read out the teams, and that's it. Um, there wasn't really any other entertainment. But sport over the last thirty years has become entertainment, um, and there's there's so many examples of that. And I think some of the better events now are actually the ones where there's a lot of different things cobbled together um, to make a an entertainment package um, and I think the entertainment package is something that will continue to rise and I think it's something that came out of definitely the, the late 80s um, and became more prevalent we'll talk a bit more about that yeah so I think you look at something like the Australian Open tennis for example I went this year for the first time in oh, maybe 10 years close on 10 years um, and I just couldn't believe Probably 10 years ago, it was an event. Um, it was about the tennis. I think it was primarily about the tennis. There were other things that were there. There were sort of pop-up food trucks and, and areas where you could watch the tennis. And But it still predominantly revolved around watching tennis. Whereas now, it sort of Melbourne Park has, has just grown and grown and grown. And they've extended Rod Labour Arena. And um, there's a huge concourse out the front now. And, and that's all just massive tents and pop-up food stalls and it's really a, a massive event it's yeah it's predominantly about tennis but it's it's just a beautiful a beautiful massive event you know there's live music there's concerts on every night um so it just it attracts different people um to actually go to those events it's sort of like football um i could imagine 40 years ago football would have just been predominantly men that went and, and young boys and not a great deal of, of females um whereas i think now it's it's a lot more open to females probably the fact that football isn't played at suburban grounds anymore i think you know probably the first stage of those sports like football and tennis going from being specifically about the sports to being a little bit more about entertainment in their own rights um would definitely revolve around the move from in football's case suburban grounds to the mcg and initially to waverley and, and obviously to marvel stadium now docklands um but also the the tennis the australian opens move from kugong to um, melbourne park and look i've been to kugong a few times and i, I walk in there i think oh this is this is really nice but i can't, I can't scratch my head and think geez like 35 years ago they've had the australian open here the place is tiny. Like you look at the courts and you think you go to Melbourne Park and even the show courts have stands and you know, there's probably five hundred people who can get a seat there, but at Kuyong there's literally two or three metres between each court um on the outside court. So it kind of makes me scratch my head to think that yeah, they, they played um they played Grand Slam tennis here not that long ago. You know, my parents remember going to Kuyong as kids. Um, and watching the Australian Open tennis, and and I just remember, I remember actually being told a story as a kid that 
dad and his mates would sort of jump on a tram, they'd go to Kuong and they'd huddle, or they'd all huddle around the, um, the players' race and the players' tunnel. And back then, tennis wasn't, you know, we're talking the, the mid-70s here, so we're talking literally 40-plus years ago. And tennis wasn't the sport it is now. Yeah, there wasn't a travelling entourage. Like you look at tennis players now, you look at the top guys. They've got a coach. They've got a couple of coaches. Some of them. Um, they've got a physio. They've got. Um, they've got a whole bunch of other people. They might have a masseuse as well. Um, they've got their parents. They've got their brothers, their sisters. They've got sort of their manager maybe as well. There's, there's a whole bunch of people. Um, not in those days. I think it was very much like. To, I remember hearing stories that literally they would stand outside the player's tunnel and the player would come out and they'd be holding their bag and they would literally just give their bag to one of the kids that was standing there and that kid would come and walk, put the bag on their back and literally walk out with them to court and, and sit there with them and, and put their bag down for it. And it's just, you can actually, I remember hearing that probably not that long ago, maybe about 10, 10 plus years ago, or it was older, probably some, sometimes in my teenage years. And I, I couldn't. I just honestly could not believe how that that actually was allowed to occur. Because I thought, oh, I've been to Melbourne Park. There's security everywhere. You know, the players go underneath. It's it's very much they're gated from the public un, unless they're actually playing. Um, they probably wouldn't even see anyone really, and or have direct contact with any of the spectators. So I think it shows how far it's come. And you look at old suburban sporting grounds and, and games in Australia and you see the hill and people sitting up the hill and I reckon I'd love to do that but it's just one of those things that's it's sort of in that previous era um, it's sort of the same in, in European sport and European football in particular um, with standing room and, and the terrace uh, the terrace was a feared place it was a revered place in the 70s and 80s uh, in England in Italy in these countries um, but the terrace isn't really what it was. The terrace now is is just seating, and um, obviously that the sort of the re the invention of the Premier League in the early nineties, ninety two, ninety three was the first Premier League season. Um, sort of led to to more TV money coming in and, and less less um, less hooliganism, and um, some might say some might say it's passion, some might say it's hooliganism, and um, terrible behaviour, some might say it's just men being men or boys being boys, um, but that that culture sort of seemed to, to go by the wayside pretty quickly and, and the corporate dollar kicked in and and um, fully seated stadiums and, and fully telecast, televised games all around the world um, basically left that behind. And, and you go to Premier League uh, games today and it is a little bit more than... Um, I've been lucky enough to go to the Liverpool to go to Anfield to watch a Champions League game, and um, I must say it's a bit more than than just the football. But the football is still predominantly the main product over there in terms of their entertainment package. Like they don't have people at halftime going out doing competitions or anything like that. The pitch is sacred. No one's going out there except the players, um, which I can understand too. And it's it's very much. Um, still centered around the actual sport itself, and I think the, their entertainment factor is, is TV dollars and, and TV um, audience, and and it's actually quite interesting to see. Like I, um, I've never actually this is something I've never actually experienced before. But I've been to you know tennis, so I can 
I've been to so many sports live, like in, in Australia and overseas. I've been to um, been to NBA games in, in America. I've been to NFL games as well, and they do the entertainment. I can see what the AFL try and do. I think they do the entertainment a lot better than we do um, over there, and, and the way that they do it is much more suited to the fans. And I think some of the stuff that they do as well in terms of bringing veterans, you know, having a veterans day for every day is kind of, you know, homecoming hero day. You know, they get someone who's who served in a war or um, who served their country and they bring their family out, they parade them out at halftime and everyone gives them a clap. I think that's, that's all part of the package. Um, and people really enjoy that over there. And I think it's something that I really enjoyed as well in terms of, being able to say, you know, thanks and, and give some, you know, clap to someone who put their life on the line for their, their country overseas and, and served in, in the battle of war. I think that's that's, that's really important. Uh, and then even I look at things like that in Australia and, and look at Anzac Day. I mean, everyone knows that Anzac Day football is played by Collingwood and, and Essendon. Um, but... Collingwood and only started playing regular Anzac Day games in 1995. Um, before that, the AFL always played games on Anzac Day. It's just that every year the teams rotated and it wasn't really that big a thing. I think it was mainly Kevin Sheedy that sort of got the RSL, the Victorian RSL involved and, and made it a big event and made it a, um, something that everyone wanted to go to. And, and basically Anzac Day is now the second grand final. Most years there's 90,000 people at the MCG. Um, I go every year, seeing as I go to Collingwood. And, um, I must say when the, the last post plays, you do, it's very eerie. You know, there's 90,000 people there and you can't hear a single soul. Um, and everyone's very, very focused and reflective at that moment. I think it's a beautiful uh, moment in time. And then the game starts and you sort of, you forget about that a little bit, but um, it's all about time going on and, and life going on. And, that's the uh, the main thing there. So yeah, I, I think that's that's a really good event that's that's happening, um, and that's part of our events offering. I think in Australia, I've never yeah. So I was also going to say I've been to the tennis here, I've been to Grand Slams, I've been to NBA games, NFL games. I'd love to go to a college game over in America um, next time I ever get over there. If I do, I'd love to go to a college football game in particular. It just looks awesome. Um, and, and even outside the stadium, I think when I went to an NFL game, it was the New Year's Eve, it was in Philadelphia, Dallas Cowboys, um, Philadelphia 70, um, not 76ers, that's a basketball team, Philadelphia Eagles. And I was outside and walking to the ground, I was literally, um, it actually reminded me a little bit of Melbourne Cup Day or Derby Day, more Derby Day, uh, Melbourne Cup Day, that carnival that they have. Uh, Flemington in November, which is also a ripping event, um, because literally everyone was outside. It was, mind you, it was negative 11 degrees Celsius with a wind chill that made it feel like it was negative 19 or 20, negative 20. And literally there were still people everywhere. And it was a dead rub. It was the last game of the season. The Eagles had qualified for the playoffs. Um, the Cowboys weren't going to be able to qualify for the playoffs. So it was a dead rubber. But... Everyone, like, it, basically there were, there were cars and, and vans lined up and, and everyone was sort of had a tent up and they were drinking and they were playing beer pong and it actually was like what Melbourne Cup Carnival is. It was a whole bunch of people 
and I, I walked up to a couple of them and asked them, I said, oh, are you guys going in? And, and some of them said, yes, they would be. They were ticket holders and they were going in. A lot of people just go there and just sit in the car park and, and watch the game on a screen there. And they get a t- they bring a TV in with them and they drink beer and um, have a barbecue and, and watch the, TV, the game on the TV outside, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and it, it actually adds to the the fan experience because you go there and you think how awesome is this everyone's just congregating around the stadium uh, before the game for hours and hours and hours and, and creates a really good vibe when you're going there I think so I've been to sporting events all over the world um, as, I, as I've said I've been to, to many things I've never um, never actually been to a concert mind you I've never been to a music concert um, I've been to the opera a couple of times and I've been in seen musicals and, and things like that, but I've never actually been to a live music concert. So I'm wondering if any of the uh, podcast listeners could give me a bit of feedback on what it's actually like, like what a music concert's like. Do they, is it just the, the, the main person or the main band that gets up and plays half a dozen songs or what do they do? Do they play for an hour or two hours? Like, I, don't, I don't really know. Like I see some stuff on Instagram stories all the time. And I don't really know if that's the full night or just, you know, a little five-second grab of 10 or 15 minutes or if it's a five-second grab of two or three hours. I'm not, not 100% sure what goes on there. Um, I'm not the world's biggest music fan either, so it's, it's a bit weird. Like, I'm a bit of a... Um, I don't know. I've just never, never really gotten into music that much. Um, don't know why. Both my parents are, my... Um, everyone in my family is like my sister is. Um, it's just me that's a little bit, a little bit different um, to everyone else, which is, I guess it's all right. It's all right to be yourself and be a bit different. Um, everyone's got different tastes and, and preferences in life, um, and yeah, that's that's kind of that's me. Now a little bit of what I like to call. On this day, so I like to look at things that happened on this day, the 26th of March, you know, people that were born, things that happened, and just talk about that a little bit. Um, so I actually have sat down um, and did, done a little bit of research, actually. Um, research, as my good friend Joe Pignataro says, research, uh, it's not just a suburb. It's a suburb in Melbourne for anyone listening elsewhere that has no idea what research is. Um, but I was doing a bit of research and I realised that today, being the 26th of March, in 1973, a guy called Larry Page was born. Um, not many people might know Larry Page, but Larry Page is someone that everyone should thank. I think everyone should write him a card or something every every day, every birthday card every year and say, thank you, Larry Page. Because um, Larry Page is an American computer scientist um, who actually founded, with a guy called Sergey Brin, Google. Google, right? So Google, you think about all the things in the world that you use, and I reckon if someone says to me they do not use Google daily, they're a liar. They're a genuine liar. Um, it's... How would I say? Um, Google is is one of those things that I would put with, uh, I think most people 
would probably have a hierarchy of needs like Maslow. I was at school. I used to I studied one of the subjects I took at school was business management, and I did a course of management at uni as part of my uni degree. And one of the management theories is there's a hierarchy of needs. So there's there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and um, Maslow is in his sort of hierarchy of needs. Basically, he's got you've got these. Um, you've got oh can't can't I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look I'll look this up but basically with Maslow you've got your physiological needs so these are at your bottom um, and, and your safety needs these are your basic needs so the physiological ones you know food water warmth rest safety you know security and safety obviously um, at the moment. <laughs> Those things are a little bit up in the air, security and safety with what's going on. Um, and and then you've got above that, you've sort of, they're sort of like your real basic needs. I reckon they should add Google to that um, because Google is something that everyone uses and everyone needs. Like how many times have you gone to Google to ask something, look for something, find something? Um, it's got both four. Like Google genuinely has a plethora of information sitting right there um, you, you, that people can access. I mean, it's it's actually unbelievable. So back in the back in the sort of the olden days, as I would have called them as a as a young child, um, I would have asked my parents, "Oh, what do you um, you know what happened in the you know what did you use in the olden days before?" Um, before Google, before the internet, and and they'd be like, oh well, we, uh, what did they do? They they would have um, you know read books, or opened books, or gone to the library, or or something like that. Um, how would you have found out what was going on in in I don't know, in, you know the the political situation in China and Uzbekistan or um, Germany, for example? You would have had to go to um, you would have had to go into a, a library and, and done a bit of reading or you might have found some sort of, um, you know, a book somewhere that talked about it or a news article somewhere. And and that would basically be where you found out about, um, where, where you found out about that thing that you were, you were, um, that you were, you were interested in, whether it be, you know, German politics or, Chinese politics or, or whatever, or, or sort of information about food manufacturing in, in Midwest America. Um, if you were living in Australia, you would have had to have actually gone and, and read some of this stuff um, through a um, through a book somewhere. And, and you've actually, you actually would have had to go on and search for it. Whereas now, um, you can just go on to Google and type in current political situation in germany and it'll give you a full rundown of what's going on politically in germany at the moment um if that's what you desire uh it's it's really good i know that google's branched into other things um as as well which is awesome um for example i use gmail um as my personal email address and and i highly recommend that i'm a big fan of uh big fan of gmail um i really enjoy that um, as, as it is uh, I'm trying to think 
then you know that that basically right there you can't um you can't can't in my mind beat uh googling something because as anyone says you know do you know the answer no google it google it um that's what people do um, they google things and they find things out and there's, there's genuinely so much out there that you can learn if you want um and google's a really good place to start so thank you larry page um you were born on this day in 1973 uh which is pretty amazing uh, to think i think um if anyone knows that the google um yeah the google story it's it's pretty unbelievable um these guys started pretty small in the late 90s and mid to late 90s and and you know here we are two decades later and uh google's got an imprint in most of our most of our lives um and is where we find a lot of our answers for things that we're, we're looking for so pretty happy about pretty happy about that um that's for sure so thank you mr mr uh mr google larry page another thing i realized today i was flicking through my my feeds my social media news feeds and the Collingwood football club my football club posted something today saying a lot of a lot of the guys now a lot of the football clubs and sporting clubs all around the world uh, liverpool won the league cup in 1983 on this day against manchester united 2-1 at wembley um a lot of the football clubs and sporting clubs don't have any new content to post about so they post um flashbacks which i think is awesome and they should do more of it because it's really fun um but today on this day in 1994 so we're talking um what four four months and one week before i was born um a man made his debut for collingwood uh, his name was nathan charles buckley uh he wears number five nathan buckley we well, wore number five for collingwood um he made his debut for collingwood on that day um in 1994 so i think that's a pretty significant day as i sort of said before nathan buckley was one of my favourite players as a young child, uh, watching Australian rules football. He was an absolute champion. Uh, probably the one of the best players of his era. Um, no doubt he played in a really unbelievable era. There were a lot of really good footballers, um, especially in, in his in his position um, as a as a centreman. There were some really good footballers. Um, I think of guys like Robert Harvey, Mark Rusciuto, Michael Voss. Um, Anthony Kerfides, James Hurd. Uh, Buckley was as good as any of them, um, if not better. Um, and I, I sort of only saw the, I can only really remember the sort of the end of his career. Um, but he was still sort of I started on the footy in two thousand, so I probably saw four really unbelievable years from Bucks. Um, and then the last three were sort of him battling on um, the worry that he is trying to get through um, to play in that elusive premiership that he never got to play in, um, unfortunately. And hopefully one day he'll coach Collingwood to a premiership because I'd really like to see that. Um, it will shut a lot of people up, which would be great, um, about him being a loser and, and never winning, winning anything. So that would be great. So he played his first game for Collingwood on this day um, in 1994. Just happened to be the home of the Collingwood Football Club, the the rightful home of the Collingwood Football Club, Victoria Park in Abbotsford. 
Um, I mean, people of my own, I, I never went to a, watch an actual AFL game at Victoria Park. I think I've been and watched a couple of practice games and trainings over the years and still occasionally go there now to watch a VFL game every now and again. Um, which I won't be doing this year because I don't think there'll be any football on or any sport. But uh, Victoria Park's a... I think it's a very special place for Collingwood. That's that's um, it's where we basically played for most of it. Played for most of our um, history. It was our home ground. Um, heard a lot of stories from people about Victoria Park. I heard Collingwood fans saying it was the greatest place on earth, and basically anyone else saying it was the worst place on earth. So, um, yeah, you can imagine the sort of place it was. Probably wasn't the nicest place if you weren't a Collingwood fan, uh, but. I'm having a look here at that, that game. So the 26th of March, 1994, Collingwood played Fitzroy um, at Victoria Park. Fitzroy, uh, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was a mad Fitzroy fan. Fitzroy no longer exists, um, which is pretty sad, but um, unfortunately it was the sign of the times and they probably weren't the world's best run football club and in an area where things were going professional, they were totally unprofessional. So. It wasn't surprising, even though it was a little bit heartbreaking, it seems, um, for, for many. Um, in that game, Collingwood won by 11 points. So Collingwood won 17-12, 1-14 to Fitzroy, 16-7, 103. Um, that's not me making that up. That was actually the score. So two sides kicked more than 15 goals in a game of league football. That does not happen very often these days. Um, coaches are much more defensively minded um, in that game. Collingwood did come from behind. Collingwood 14 points down at three-quarter time, 25-point turnaround, 11-point win for the Woods. Um, Buckley in his first game for Collingwood had 13 kicks, eight marks, five handballs, 18 disposals, one goal, three, uh, one tackle, and he had two free kicks against. This information is called courtesy of AFL Tables, another awesome guide for people that are interested um, you know, if I footy and then statistics over time, AFL tables have got everything. Um, I don't know who runs it, but they're, they're just unbelievable and the stuff they put on here. Um, you can literally go back and look at any game in, in time and, and see who the players were, um, how many games they played, their statistics, all of it. Um, it's, it's really, really good stuff. Um, that day... So that day, it looks like I'm just having a look here. Oh, interesting. So Collingwood's main, can't believe this. So the leading goal kicker of Collingwood. So Paul Williams kicked five goals from 15 disposals. Paul Williams is a really good sentiment for Collingwood. Player ended up at Sydney, won a flag there, um, which was great for him. He was a terrific clubman at Collingwood for about 10 years when we were pretty much no good and was a terrific player. Um, and... The other goal kicker that day was a guy called Jason McCartney who ended up at Adelaide and then at North Melbourne. And I remember as a child watching uh, his comeback game on Friday night um, after he'd come back from... He was in he was in the that nightclub where the Bali Bowings happened in 2002 and literally got... Um, his, his whole body was, was burnt and he came back and wore long sleeves and his socks were pulled up to his knees and um, he was really, really mangled. Um, from that Jason McCartney but he came back and actually played a game of footy for North Melbourne he played one game it was actually fine see this is what AFL Tables is awesome for so you just go on here go on a bit of a waffle find this stuff so Jason McCartney played one game 
from North Melbourne in 2003. The Kangas won by three points against Richmond on a Friday night. There were 43,200 people there at Docklands. Um, at, I think it would, have, it would have been Telstra Dome at the time, I think, probably. Yeah, Telstra Dome. Um, and Jason McCartney had three kicks, one mark, zero handballs. He played 60% of game time, and he kicked one goal, one out. I think he kicked that goal with about... Oh, might have been about five minutes to go in the game. I think that, that put them nine points up. Um, and he... Oh, AFL tables. I can actually check this. How good is that? Um, and... Yeah, McCartney kicked a goal at the start of the last quarter that put North Melbourne, um, put North Melbourne nine points in front, and they ended up winning the game by three points. So effectively, McCartney, you could say, had a played a role in in helping um, North Melbourne win that game, um, and and he was just a he was a, he was a real soldier for that. Like I just can't comprehend, you know, six months previously he's he was in intensive care half his body had been burnt off and, and here he was after that going back to play leg footy and kicking the winning goal I guess and um, yeah good note to retire on for him um, so back to that game he got one brown low vote even though he kicked three goals and Williams kicked five goals um, but Paul Williams was a midfielder so Jason McCartney was a forward so I'm not really sure how that worked in terms of McCartney um McCartney getting a Brownlow vote, Buckley not. Um, just looking who the other ones were because they were Fitzroy players um, in that game. Uh, and look, the three votes to a guy called Matt Armstrong and two votes to a guy called Peter Satori. Um, I've heard Peter Satori, don't know anything about the bloke. Um, and Matt Armstrong, I've never heard of, so I'm going to check him out. Oh, um, he played 175 games of league footy for. North Melbourne and for um, for North Melbourne and for for Fitzroy um, he ended up at North Melbourne and he looks like he got dropped for the 1996 North Melbourne um, grand final and which they won the premiership in he got zero disposals in the, the prelim so I guess that was probably why I got dropped uh, for that game which makes sense um, but yeah, that was that was Nathan Buckley's first game for Collingwood. So that was on this day 26 years ago at Victoria Park. Um, Buckley, oh, how would I describe him? Um, yeah, as I said, one of the best footballers I've ever seen. Um, just does not compare. Does not compare with with many. Um, just an absolute professional, and I think someone that the public is actually starting to like a lot more. Uh, when I've spoken in previous podcasts about. Dustin Martin and Jordan DeGoey and guys like this and Dane Swan and even Darren Mullane, you know, the public had a perception about them. Um, they weren't really, like, their actual personalities are a lot different to, to what you see on the TV and what you see in the media and, and all that. And I think Buckley is. The, everyone sort of said, as always said, that Buckley's had a really good sense of humour and everyone just thinks he's a, he's a flog, he's really up himself. But I think people now actually like him and think he's a funny guy. Um, so that's actually quite quite nice, um, and I think it's, it's I'm glad that you know people people recognising him and, and how um, how good of a person he is as well as being a great footballer. And hopefully he'll be a great coach. Um, I hope he'll go down as a premiership coach. Kind of, I really do. So 
I'm going to do a little segment here each night. I've seen these, got a few people do it recently, where they put up their their favourite or their best team, their favourite, best side from um, their sporting team. So I'm going to start off with Collingwood. I'll probably do a few more of these, but I'll do the best Collingwood 22 that I've seen in my lifetime. So that goes from the time I was able to go to the footy. So it's in the year 2000. So that's 20 years of... 21 seasons of going to the footy or 20 seasons of going to the footy and this is the best Collingwood side of my um, my era that I've seen so I started off back pocket um, bloke by the name of Nick Maxwell he will be the vice captain of this team um, Collingwood Premiership captain absolute legend gave you everything fullback Simon Prestigia Como um a bloke who played at fullback every week and looked undersized and looked slow but was rarely ever beaten. Um, same goes the other back pocket, a guy called James Clement, who was an absolute colossus. Um, even when we were terrible in 2004, 2005, I just remember James Clement being that much better than any other player in our defence. It wasn't funny. Um, and, and he deserves to be in the back pocket. Um, the halfback line, Heath Shaw, terrific player, Gave it everything. Still gives it everything every week when he plays for GWS. Um, wish he still played for Collingwood. Um, sent out back Ben Reid. One of the most beautiful field kicks I've ever seen. Um, fantastic read of the play. Fantastic overhead mark. Really good one-on-one. Terrific centre half-back. Just absolutely cruel by injuries. Um, he was shot about three or four years ago. And I don't know why he's still on the list at Collingwood. But he was an absolute champion centre half-back. Um, and I don't know why we try and play him at centre half-forward. It's just pathetic. Um, but he, he's a Collingwood, he's really, he's a really, really good centre halfback. Um, and he's the best that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, the other halfback flag is a guy called Harry, Harishia Labumba, the, the artist formerly known as Harry O'Brien. Um, a lot of people don't like Harry and they think he's a bit of a weirdo, whatever, I think he's a bit different, but you can't doubt that his football skills were just sublime. Um, he was just able to break lines and, and run and carry, and he he provided a lot of excitement in an era early on, especially when he played when Collingwood had zero excitement. So um, for that on its own, halfback flank for Harry O'Brien. He kicked a ripping goal in the 2010 grand final replay as well and celebrated beautifully, I might add. Um, the centre line, a guy that really annoys me, but he's a really good footballer. Um, still side bottom. I'll put him in there um, on the wing. In the centre, the captain, um, none other than the great man, the alpha male, Nathan Charles Buckley. Um, I don't need to say any more about him. The other wing, Dale Thomas. Dale Thomas, how do I say this? Um, Dale Thomas from 2006 to 2011. I can't remember a more exciting footballer than him. Um, Obviously, in his last couple of years at Collingwood, he's angles were terrible and, and then he you know as he left and went to Carlton um, and I don't begrudge him and as I said hate players at booing hate people at booing and, and stuff like that he's a Collingwood Premiership player he's an All-Australian he's an absolute star um, we saw his best footy at Collingwood and he ended up being a really reliable player at Carlton and much maligned um, but actually ended up being much loved which I'm glad to see um, so Daisy you're on the other wing half forward line Chris Tarrant um on half forward flank, really interesting story is that Chris Tarrant, at the start of the year 2000, or at the end of 1999, actually quit Collingwood and basically we went back to Mildura to be 
um, a bum with his mates up there and, and didn't want to play league football and, and couldn't be fun, couldn't, basically couldn't be stuck playing league footy and, and got talked around it um, by a few people, mainly being Eddie Maguire um, and a few other people. And heard a ripping story um, that basically Tatters had, had left Collingwood, had basically packed his bags up. He was sharing a room with a couple of other guys or he shared a house with a couple of other guys who played at Collingwood at the time. Um, and literally packed everything up and went back to, to Broken Hill. And um, I think once that happened, Eddie McGuire found out and was sort of trying to get him back straight away because um, Taylor's, I think, would have been 20 at the time and was just a gun. Um, he was waiting to explode. And Eddie basically got all these people to write a massive, um, a whole bunch of letters saying, this is why I want to come back to Collingwood and this is what you mean to Collingwood fans. Um, and basically, I think Taz ended up being forced to go to Eddie's, um, Eddie's holiday house in Portie over the um, the Christmas break um, at the early 2000 and basically read all of this. And I think after that, he basically decided that he was going to play at Collingwood. Um, and, the re- and the rest is kind of history, I think. Taz ended up playing, I'll have to find the amount of games, but Taz ended up playing all up 268 games, 196 at Collingwood and 72 at Fremantle because he had four years at Fremantle in the middle of his career. Um, But he ended up being a fullback at Fremantle, but he was a really good half forward. He was just strong, really good mark over here, really good mark in the lead. Um, His kicking was a bit on and off from what I remember just he wasn't the most deadly kick especially for a left footer but he was really loved and he was one of those characters as well he's a bit of a larrikin Taz when he was younger um, bit of a rat bag and, and I think that's what Collingwood fans like they like those players a bit like Mullane a bit like Dugowie they like those Swan they like players that have a bit of attitude um, and he was definitely one of those so how you guys on a half foot flank centre half forward Travis Cloak easy Easy pick, um, best contested mark I've seen for Collingwood. Um, absolute workhorse up and down the ground. Again, kicking absolutely shocking within 50 metres, but a fantastic footballer who gave everything for Collingwood. Um, Half-forward flank, I couldn't fit this bloke on the ball, but Scott Burns. Scott Burns was an absolute workhorse in the middle, could go forward, kick a few goals as well um, in the early early 2000s. Um, mid 2000s as well it's just a shame his body let him down he was captain 2008 when bucks retired and he was um yeah he's just on the way out and he he's a really um lovely guy i remember one day um bemoaning i actually saw him i was working in a cafe at the time um glenaris pantry love a little place um please go and support small businesses now like glenaris pantry um they do take away at the moment now that um, they can't have people dine in but they do a really good feed there and some lovely coffees as well. Um, but yeah, I remember Burnsy came in on a Saturday morning one day and I was taking his order and literally like we used to take names and um, we used to take names, obviously. That's what you do when you're getting a takeaway coffee, you get the person's name. Um, and I remember actually just sitting there and he ordered something, I think I mean, like, whatever it was. Um, and you normally ask for a name and um and i said and he ordered his coffee and i said oh 
that's three fifty. And I said, oh, you gonna ask for my name? I said, no, nah, that's all right, Bernsey. And I said, oh, I was like, I was like, oh, you're looking in good nick. I reckon, um, I reckon you, I'd love to see you put the number seventeen on for Colin, but it was actually just after, um, I think at the end of 2000, it must have been the start of two thousand fifteen, because it was just when Dane Beams had left. I thought, oh. I'd love you to wear the number fifteen. I would love you to wear the number seventeen and go out there for Collingwood. And he said, "Yeah, I wish." He sort of laughed at me. He said, "Yeah, mate, I wish I could." Body's not up to that anymore. And I thanked him for being a Collingwood legend. And um, he got on with the rest of his day after that. So hope he enjoyed that. But Burnsy champion, half forward flank for him. Ford pocket, Leon, Neon, Neon, Leon Davis. Um, geez, how do I describe Leon? Um, Wow, it was just an exciting machine. As a kid, I remember going on the footy and seeing this guy. He won number one. Well, he won number 40 in 2000, his first year. And then after that, he won number one. And the war number one, sat in the forward pocket, used to crumb, kick goals, miracle goals. He was just an absolute... He was just a cult hero. And I think it's very interesting, the evolution of Australian rules football as well. Is I actually looked at it at the time and was trying to go back. And I remember asking a few people, I said, oh, you know... Um, have we really had indigenous footballers? And, and Collingwood was not a club that I think Essendon and, and, and Kevin Sheedy again. He was a he was a he was well ahead of his time. He he harnessed um, the great attributes and, and the great skill that Aboriginal footballers had in indigenous footballers. Um, and and Sheedy was the sort of the pioneer of bringing a lot of these guys in. And and obviously over time we've seen more and more indigenous players play league footy. Um, which is great because I think they add so much to that game and they're such exciting um, footballs the way they play. Um, I was looking at it and I was thinking, hang on a minute, Leon Davis is like the only Collingwood player that's played more than about 30 games for Collingwood that's Indigenous. Um, and this is probably in that th- the mid-2000s that I looked this up and, and then I sort of realised that Collingwood was probably not the, the club that I think a lot of Indigenous players wanted to play for. Um, back in the day, due to... I think um, a whole bunch of different things. I think just culturally, it seemed as though the people that were running Collingwood probably didn't didn't envisage or really like the idea of having Indigenous players playing for them or their club, um, which is pretty stupid. I'm talking a long time ago. I'm talking about the 70s, the 80s, um, that, that era. You, you won't find... I think at other clubs you will find that they had some Indigenous players. I mean, the Cracker Brothers played at North Melbourne. Morris Rioli played at Richmond. Um, Michael McLean played at Footscray, I believe. I think at Footscray. So players in that era did... Indigenous players did play um, for other VFL and AFL clubs, but not really at Collingwood. I think Robbie Armat played in the 90s. He played at Sydney as well. I can remember him now. I can't remember him at Collingwood. I think there was a guy called Wally Lovett he might have played a season or two for Collingwood in the early 80s, but pretty sure Wally Lovett was Collingwood's first Indigenous player. So we're talking 90 years before, um, 90 years from foundation of the club to the first Indigenous player. So Leon actually provided a lot of spark, and he was he was one of these characters as well, I think, on the field. Every time he got the ball, you knew he was going to do something. Um, and he ended up turning himself into a really good small defender and attacking machine and... Um, really evolved with the game, I think. Um, so he gets my spot in the forward pocket. The guy full forward, Anthony Rocker. Um, again, I probably would have him in centre-half forward, but Travis Cope was a much better centre-half forward. Um, Pebs lives, breathes, and 
would die for Collingwood. Um, again, one of those other players, a bit like Bucks and Burnsy and even Taz, kind of feel sorry for them that they never actually won a flag for Collingwood. It meant so much to them. Um, if that goal umpire was standing behind the goals, um, the 2002 grand final had given that goal, which it was, um, he would probably be a premiership player. So thanks to that goal umpire. Um, I have demons because of you still and nightmares. So thank you. Um, and so would Anthony Rockwood again. Terrific kick from outside 50, inside 50, a bit shaky, but gave his heart and soul for Colin and Pebs. Uh, the other forward pocket, another larrikin, but another awesome, awesome footballer um, that people really underrate. I think Alan Didak um, is his name. So Dids, Dids played, I think Dids would have played at least a couple hundred. He definitely played 200. He played, here we go, 218 games for Collingwood. Um, really highly talented junior. Trialled overseas at a lot of soccer clubs. I think he might have trialled at Hydrick Split or he's Croatian. Um, one of the or Dino Zagreb, one of the one of the big Croatian clubs, um, but ended up choosing to play footy and ended up at Collingwood and and was just known for getting in the right spot at the right time I think and, and kicking really important goals, great on great left foot but also a really good right foot as well, um, a very talented player when he got the ball like I think he was he was a better player than people thought he was but when he got the ball he didn't he didn't um, he didn't muck around with it. Like, he was just a very... Uh, the way he used the ball was just exemplary, I'd say, um, in, in the way he used it. And, and I, I can't fault can't fault Didak at all um, for that. So, did you go in the full pocket. Rux, Brody, Grundy, I think that speaks for himself. Um, he's a gun ruck. Even though Grundy taps the ball to his feet all the time, which kind of really bugs me. Um, a lot. I wish he'd just punch it a bit further out um, and clear the contest a bit, but he's, he's a second on ball, or he's another on ball. He's an absolute gun. Um, easily the best ruckman in the AFL at the moment. Has been for the last few years. Um, I think he just shades Max Gorn just because of the work he does around the ground, but um, he's definitely the best ruckman I've seen at Collingwood in my time. Um, the other on ball is Pendlebury. What can you say? Um, I assume next year at some stage he'll probably break the game's record for Collingwood. Um, he's won a premiership, he's won an Old Smith medal, he's won, I think he's won maybe four or five, I think only, um, I think only Buckley's won more Copeland trophies than, than Pendlebury. Um, I think Buckley's won seven and Pendlebury has won I'd, say, I'd like to say that Pendles has won five now. Four or five. Buckley won seven, and Pendlebury's won one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, he's won five, basically. And Pendles won his... So he won two, 11, two, 13, 14, 15, 16. So effectively, those... Um, the four years that were out of the finals, 14 and 17... Pendles won three of the four best and fairest. You can't argue with that. He's an absolute gun. Um, another one. He doesn't waste possessions. That's what I like about him. Um, he's a beautiful footballer as well, um, is Pendles. Um, another one here that I'm looking... Another one here that I'm looking at. So we're now going to the bench. So the guys on the interchange. Ben Johnson played circa 250 games for Collingwood. Um... 
um, dear Jono, Jono played. He genuinely is a heart and soul player. The bloke gave everything he had for Collingwood. Um, you wouldn't find too many more like Ben Johnson, who literally went out there every single week and, and did not stop trying. Um, his skills might not have been the world's greatest, but he gave it everything. Premiership player as well. Um, you can't argue with that. Another one, sort of sad, he never won a flag. Cried after the 2002 grand final with Mick Malthouse on the ground and people giving shit about it. Um, Paul Lecuria, he gave his heart and soul for the jumper. Um, one of the most talented player was considered a tagger. Best on ground in the 2002 qualifying final when Bucks didn't play against Port Adelaide. Literally 90%, of, 80% of our side hadn't played a final. It was their first final. It was Lucas' first final. And he came out and had 40 touches at Footy Park, which was one of the more intimidating places to go, um, especially in finals when Port Adelaide didn't put the tarps over the, the stands um, because people actually wanted to go to the game. Um, and and Licker just absolutely brained them that night. He was dominant in the middle and, and gave our foot forwards first um, use of it all night. And, and we won a game that no one thought in the world we'd win. Um, and, and he just continued going. His body let him down in the end, but he was just a gun. Um, the other one that I have on my bench is Dane Beams. Um, so Beams, he easily played his best footy at Collingwood. He won the best and fairest in 2012. Um, and he was one of those players that could just go anywhere. Like Beams, early on, he came in at half forward, um, went on the ball later on as he got more and more mature. He was just a, he was just a gun. And I think it's sad to see what's happened in his personal life. Um, unfortunately, he's had a lot of issues with his dad and with his family and, and himself, and I hope for his own sake he, he, um, he gets better because he's just a, he's just an, he was just an immense footballer and, and a great talent. Um, unfortunately, he's just, he's, um, he's obviously having some hard times, but I'm sure they won't last forever and, and things will look up for him um, in the future. And, He'll be a Collingwood champion. He's a Collingwood Premiership player, best and fairest winner. He can do whatever he likes. Beamsy, he can, he can do whatever he wants. Um, he, he'll always be a legend at Collingwood. Now, the other one, the last bench spot in the 22, I was thinking about this. Who do I think? Uh, Jono, he's a backman, Licker, he's a midfielder. Beams is sort of an odd ball, wingman, midfielder. I've got to go with a big bloke. Didn't really know who to go for. I thought, oh, who do I go for? And I thought, I'll put... Um, I'll put a bloke in here, Darren Jolly. I think he was, he was, I think the cream on top. You know, a really good side in 2010, a Premiership team, um, and he was an absolute. He was, he was just, he just came in and just knew exactly what to do. He was a gun ruckman, peak of his powers, um, and played four really good years at Collingwood as well. So, I'd say that um, Darren Jolly would definitely earn a spot on my. Um, on my bench, um, the best team that I've ever seen. Um, honorable mentions go to some a, a few blokes. Um, I think guys like, if you ask me in five years' time, I think you'll find guys like Taylor Adams will probably squeeze in there, I think. Uh, Adam Trelaw maybe, uh, potentially even, um, I think definitely Darcy Moore and Jordan Gale will go in there. Uh, if you look at other ones too that potentially might go in there. Who knows? Um, they might go in there. Honourable mentions to guys like uh, Luke Ball. Uh, he was a terrific player 
again, another one we just probably didn't, you know, he did his knee at the wrong time, but just came in in 2010 and just clicked. He was he was a gun. Um, just in and under, tough, hard, really good player. Um, even guys like, I think, Alan Tuvey, Tyson Goldsay, they're probably a bit unlucky. They were really dependable players for a long period of time in an era where we had uh, sustained success. Um, you know, unhilded players, I'd say, I'd, I'd call them. Um, I think, you know, they're probably the ones that, that I think in my era were probably, um, probably the, the most unlucky. To even, even a bloke like Josh Fraser, he played a lot of footy. Shane O'Brien, probably. Um, Tarkin Lockyer, another one that played a fair bit of footy um, on the outside there. So, yeah, that's um that's the best 22 I've seen play for Conrad. So if you're going to put those guys in at the park, I don't think there's many sides that are going to beat them. They're going to be pretty competitive. And that, that side will sack up well against um, sides from most years, I'd say. So, yeah. Look, I know that I've had a good time tonight recording this. Um, I just want to let everyone know out there, stay positive, stay healthy uh, in these uncertain times. Um, keep yourself as active as possible um, and enjoy yourself. If you've got any recommendations, um, please let me know. So, yeah, enjoy. Have a good evening.